வணக்கம் நீங்க முடியும் காலங்காலமாக ஊடகங்களுடைய செயல்பாடு மக்களுடைய மனநிலையை ஏதாவது ஒரு விதத்தில் சீர் செய்து கொண்டு தான் இருந்திருக்குது ஒரு சில நேரம் திசை திருப்பியும் இருந்துட்டு இது ஒரு ஆங்கிலத்தில் மிக்சட் பேக்னு சொல்லுவாங்க நல்லதும் கெட்டதும் கலந்த ஒரு சூழ்நிலை தான் அப்போ ஆனால் பொதுவாக ஊடகங்களுடைய தாக்கம் சமுதாயத்து மேலே இருக்கா இல்லையா இருந்தால் எப்படி இருக்கும் இதுக்கு வந்து ஒரு கம்பேரிட்டிவ் அனாலிசிஸும் தேவை இப்போ நம்ம நாட்டில் இருக்கிற ஊடகங்கள் நம்மளை எப்படி பாதிக்குதுன்னு நம்ம புரிஞ்சுக்கணும்னா பொதுவாக இந்த தாக்கம் எப்படி இருக்குதுன்னு தெரிஞ்சுக்கணும் அப்போ இந்த துறையில் இருக்கிற நிபுணர்கிட்ட பேசினா தான் நமக்கு அந்த விவரங்கள் கிடைக்கும் அந்த விளக்கத்தை சரியாக புரிஞ்சுக்க முடியும் அதுக்காக நம்மளோட இந்த பதிவில் இணைஞ்சிருக்காங்க பேராசிரியர் டாக்டர் கேத்ரின் ஃபாஸ் இவங்க வந்து அமெரிக்க நாட்டில் மிடில் டெனிசி ஸ்டேட் யூனிவர்சிட்டி அப்படிங்கிற பல்கலைக்கழகத்தில் பேராசிரியராக இருக்காங்க இவங்க வந்து இவங்களுடைய பதவி பெயர் வந்து ப்ரொஃபஸர் ஜேர்னலிசம் அண்ட் ஸ்ட்ராட்டஜிக் மீடியா காலேஜ் ஆஃப் மீடியா அண்ட் என்டர்டெயின்மெண்ட் இவங்க வந்து இந்த ஊடகவியல் ப இதையே படிப்பாக படித்து அதில் பேராசிரியர் இவங்க இப்போ பல ப இவங்கக்கிட்ட படித்து வர மாணவர்கள் பல பேர் வந்து இன்றைக்கி ஊடகங்களில் பணி செஞ்சுக்கிட்டு இருக்காங்க இவங்களுடைய ஆராய்ச்சியே வந்து இந்த ஊடகங்கள் எப்படி செயல்படுது ஊடகங்களின் தாக்கம் என்னவாக இருக்குது ஊடகங்கள் எப்படி ப எப்படிலாம் செயல்பட்டுருக்கு அப்படிங்கிறதுல தான் இவங்களுடைய ஆராய்ச்சி இவங்க முனைவர் பட்டம் வாங்கினதும் அதில் இவங்களோட இவங்களோட நம்ம ஒரு அருமையான கலந்துரையாடல் ஒன்று பேச இருக்கிறோம் வாங்க நம்ம டாக்டர் கே டி ஃபாஸை சந்திச்சு பேசுவோம் குட் மார்னிங் டாக்டர் ஃபாஸ் தேங்க் யூ ஃபார் ஜாயினிங் அஸ் இன் பகுத்தறிவு பாட்காஸ்ட் வி ஆர் அப்சல்யூட்லி ஹாப்பி டு ஹேவ் யூ ஹியர் வி வுட் லைக் டு பிகின் அவர் டிஸ்கஷன் வித் அ ப்ரீஃப் இன்ட்ரோடக்ஷன் ஃப்ரம் யுவர் சைட் Thank you for having me. So I'm Dr. Katie Foss. I am a professor of media studies at Middle Tennessee State University in Tennessee uh, in the United States. Uh, and most recently, I study epidemics and I study, specifically, I study media and epidemics uh, from both a historical and a contemporary view. Sure. Thanks for that. Let's uh, jump right into the discussion. You know, uh, we would like to focus on the connection between media specifically news media outlets and politics now historically how have political organizations used media well that's a really interesting question because it actually depends on what era of the press and in what country we're talking about so actually when newspapers uh, really um, started most newspapers were either products of the government um, across various countries or uh, they were going to be sponsored by a, a political party. So the origin of newspapers actually were highly political. Uh, the difference that we see between then and now is that it was very clear all the time who was backing a particular newspaper. You knew whose voices you were getting because uh, in either it was the name of the paper, right? It was in the new title of the newspaper, or um, it was clearly stated in the newspaper. Uh, and then uh, if we think about kind of the eras of the press, then we kind of move away from that to a number of other eras of the press to where we're at now in the U.S. Uh, 
technically falls under like this objective model or this era of objectivity or of balance that actually dates back to the early 1900s. Now, I know that people listening would argue with that given um, the very clear partisan biases of various news organizations. Um, so it is interesting it is that we kind of kind of come full circle, but even with that, I would say the diversity and abundance of various media outlets, local, national, and international, means that there's really something for everybody on the political spectrum. So thanks for that. You really set the background for the next question, which uh, is you know, right, right now uh, uh, in, in India, uh, you know, where, where, where I'm based out of, you know, most of the media outlets, like you mentioned, are controlled by political organizations mm -hmm. and some of them are owned by them as well. So apart mm -hmm. from these news media outlets having their own alignment towards specific political organizations, most of them are either controlled or literally owned uh, by the political organization. So you, you did explain half of the question already. So but the question is, uh, you know, what does this tell about the state of the news media industry right now? Uh, well, I th think we can either take that from a very cynical view and say, well, media messages are biased and therefore we should dismiss them. And I, and I hear that sometimes, but I actually like to take a more kind of optimistic and futuristic view of that. And that is, we've never had more choices. And so while we definitely have uh, news media outlets that are either controlled by political organizations or just uh, take the position of particular political parties, right? We, we have more choices than just that. I mean, there's just so many different sources that we can look at uh, and looking outside of kind of your own little bubble of your own party affiliations or your own politics or, or your own geographic location can really help present a more kind of balanced picture of what's actually going on in the world. And that's what I'd recommend everybody does. You know, everybody should go outside of the little political bubble to, to access a lot of different sources on the same story to see uh, really what's going on. Sure, thanks for that. Uh, the, the next thing is in line with the same question, uh, you know, how far do media or news media outlets go in terms of influencing voter behavior and perceptions? Can you explain that with an example? Um, well, I, I think that we actually have to go beyond just news media if we're going to talk about how uh, what impacts voters right now, and especially right now uh, for us, of course, we're only a couple days from the election. Um, and, and we have to factor in voting, early voting as well. So while we'd like to think that news media primarily influence voter decisions, uh, there's a lot more to that, especially because there's so much citizen produced content. So because of social media, uh, people are influencing people largely within their own networks and just kind of reaffirming what they're already believing. Uh, but they're also sharing memes and, and kind of, I would say, fabricated stories that uh, you know, are full of misinformation that may not have been even produced by a news organization. There are also a lot of really misleading organizations producing material or individuals producing material that looks like news when it's not news at all. And I actually think that's the most dangerous thing and probably the most likely to directly impact kind of, uh, voters' perceptions of different candidates are kind of these conspiracy theorists that float stuff out there as if it's news when it really is not. Okay, uh, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, uh, the next question is, uh, you know, right here in, in India, uh, as uh, you know, the new, again, uh, what you said is very similar to what's happening here in India, the news media outlets, the news that they put out is heavily influencing 
citizens' opinion about political parties and their stance, and in terms of how they're who they're going to trust moving forward and so on. But in that process, you know, each news media organization has different uh, categories of uh, journalists. Some of them are absolutely critical; they don't shy away from critiquing anyone. They stand absolutely neutral, hold on to the facts. But then some have their own political orientations influencing the way they cover the news and so on. But uh, you know, what we are observing is. Uh, you know, irrespective of what the alignment of the news media organizations is with respect to politics, if the journalist, uh, the individual is going to be very critical about the government in power or the political party holding the administration, then mm -hmm. they are facing so many issues. Either uh, lawsuits are filed against them, the news media organization lets them go, uh, and there's a whole lot of other, you know, all the way from murder threats, rape threats, and, you know, they, they face a whole lot of, it's a whole spectrum of uh, uh, anti-journalist, uh, uh, you know, uh, impacts that, that come towards them. Is it the same case there? You know, what, what's what's the current trend there? And, you know, what does that tell about the journalist's freedom? Mm -hmm. So I would say to a lesser degree, we see that here just because there are so many different types of news organizations. However, it's assumed that if you work for a particular news organization that has a particular political affiliation or political lean, if you write against that, then you probably would not, or very likely would not make it long at that particular organization. Uh, but we have so many different types of news organizations here that uh, some are definitely much, much more critical than the government, some lesser. So some sing the praise of the government so much or the current government that uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a critical story no matter what happens or what unfolds. Uh, I guess it just depends on the news organization itself. But I would say what it does to journalistic freedom is that it, um, it can actually do two things. On one hand, it discouraged journalists from really publishing what's really going on, right? From criticizing the government, from exposing corruption or whatever other, other kind of negative information might come along. But on the flip side, I think it can be really empowering to journalists to really get that story and tell that story and get that, you know, get that message out there. And, and that's one of the greatest things about the internet is the way, the abundant different ways that you can get things out there. It's also the, the danger, of course, because of misinformation, but ways to get things out there that we didn't have, you know, before the digital era. Sure, thanks for that. Now, uh, you know, the, the situation is here that, you know, uh, a few months back, uh, a similar kind of incidents happened here, specifically in our state. And, uh, you know, uh, the the news organization uh, has, you know, that's when we realized the, the news organizations or the management had a political leaning. So the journalist is a very popular person and, you know, we all wait and watch uh, his talk shows and his interviews and and he he handles it neutrally but then when it is wrong he calls it out as wrong and then he does present his critique and obviously political organizations had a whole campaign against him and so on so much of name and shaming campaign and such that but uh, you know we, we kind of ignored that we realized okay these guys political organizations they are going to do that anyways as long as you know they don't find a supporter they're going to do that against but what happened subsequently was this journalist was uh, pressed by the management to avoid that kind of critical discussions. And, uh, you know, more than one such journalist resigned their jobs. They left the news organizations and they started their own YouTube channels. And right now we are all subscribers waiting for their next show. And, and so this, this and this you did touch on in your uh, previous explanation, traditional journalism versus uh, citizen journalism. What difference, what differentiates the two and, you know, how do they add value? 
and what's the what's their future mm-hmm. well that's a good question and and it's such a gray area right now how we define um, kind of the citizen journalist because certainly there are individuals that have the knowledge and critical thinking ability and also the, the ability to communicate uh, these these kinds of perspectives right through the different available media outlets or alternative media outlets to the industries themselves and the newspapers themselves. But we also have people who are bloggers who call themselves citizen journalists who really aren't journalists and kind of make up information, aren't drawing it from a particular source or a credible source, and then are getting that information out there. And, and that's where it's problematic. I mean, it's wonderful to have so many different perspectives, be able to connect to people like, like you're talking about with your YouTube journalists, which is fantastic. But at the same time, if regular consumers are only consuming kind of the alternative citizen journalists, I'd be a little worried about what kind of information or perspectives that person might walk away with. Sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks for that. Now, uh, you know, what do you think these news media outlets should stop doing to ensure they still hold on to, uh, you know, the audience trust, people's trust? Hmm. Um, well, I think they should stop being too quick to speculate on information. It depends on what news organization we're talking about. But uh, if you run with a story so quickly that you don't have time to stop and verify what you're doing, that, that can be a problem. Uh, for example, uh, I would also say that it's okay for news organizations to acknowledge the lack of knowledge sometimes, or the lack of information in a particular situation. And uh, one criticism I've seen of uh, media organizations over the last you know, eight months or so is that the information about COVID-19 continues to change. Well, of course it continues to change because this is a new virus, right? Uh, but uh, having media organizations that stop to say, look, just so you know, this information is going to change. Making that kind of acknowledgement, I think can go a long way with uh, establishing and reinforcing public trust. Okay, okay, thanks. Uh, we sincerely hope that is the case. Uh, now, uh, from an audience perspective, how can one identify uh, you know, or detect the presence of a bias or fake news in the media? There are so many outlets, so many news coming out, and you know, there's, it, it's really hard to define one yardstick, but, but as, as, a, as a commoner, how do I uh, identify or detect, uh, hey, this might be fake news or this might be a bias? Well, I'll pause and just, and just touch on the concept of fake news just a little bit because that really is a buzzword that emerged in the last couple of years that really doesn't usually mean what we think it means. So when we used to say fake news, what we made it meant was a hoax or something that was completely fabricated. For example, a story that there are Martians on the moon that came out in a 19th century newspaper. There's a little drawing and a headline and everything, right? Uh, so nowadays, uh, the term fake news is such a politicized term that I actually encourage, especially when I teach on this, I encourage students to not use that term and instead we can use uh, misinformation or fabricated information. Um, we can also use uh, unsubstantiated information, depending on what we're talking about. So as far as discerning kind of fact from fiction, I first encourage everybody to take a step back and look at the source. So what did someone have to do in order to publish a story, for example, in a particular source? Taking that first step, and if a person had to be you know, hired as a journalist, have a journalism degree or a background in journalism, uh, be vetted in other ways with awards, with, you know, with professional experience. What did you have to do to publish in that particular outlet? 
who pays for that outlet? Is it particularly subscribers? Is it advertising content? Is it a political party that backs that organization? Who pays for the content? Or is it an outlet in which the person writing the content did a free blog and then just decided to put it out there, right? So I would say, look at the source, look at the person writing the information and the history of the person, and then we can start to take a look at the piece itself. So as we're reading the piece, uh, we consider what type it is. Is this a news story? Is this a breaking news story? Is this a story on that's a commentary on something that's been around for a while? Uh, is this an opinion piece? Uh, who is putting this out and what sources is that person drawing from? Right? That's a great way to check information. So uh, look at who is quoted, who wasn't quoted, right? Do we have the names or identifying sources within the piece or are they anonymous? Um, and then once we've looked at the piece, we've looked at the author or the journalist creating the piece, look at how it fits in the overall news package on the website or in, a, in if you have a physical newspaper, and where is it at, what section? Uh, and then the, the next step I would say is to really look at other sources to see if they're saying about the same thing. So other breaking, especially if it's a breaking news story, if it's something that's a hot topic right now, how can we verify by looking at other trustworthy news sources? Now, most people don't have that much time and most people don't have that much knowledge. Uh, so what I would encourage everyone, and I, tell, I talk about this a lot with my media students, is that you should just check in uh, periodically with news sites at different levels, at the local level, at you know your state run or kind of the national level then, and then also look at a couple different global media sites to verify what's going on. And you don't have to do it all the time, that'd be really time consuming, but periodically, especially if it's something that you are gonna share online. And I think that that's really key is that it's not just about one person consuming a, a story and then just thinking and being influenced by that. It's about people influencing each other by sharing information online. And because I trust somebody else who shared a story, I'm more likely to then trust that story unless I've gone through this checkpoint process. Also, I discourage anyone from sharing something online unless you read the full story, if you read the full story. If you only read a headline or you only look at a soundbite, you're not giving anyone the full picture. Sure, right. So sure. that was a lot. That's, that's my advice for telling this. And I mean, and, and look for satire too of course. And I think that what we used to call fake news was also called satire before fake yeah, news yeah. got highly politicized. And, yeah. and satire can be great as long as we know it's satirical, right? I love satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. I love satire myself. But uh, I think uh, from a political standpoint, I think fake news has been a term which has, you know, as long as it's a critic uh, and someone who's in alignment with the uh, group in power, they would just, uh, you know, put it down, calling it fake news. So every critique is fake news. Uh, and because we already have one set of fabricated information falling under the fake news. So, you know, all the critique are also getting, uh, you know, stereotyped along with this fabricated information. Mm -hmm. So, so, so oh. it's, it's, it's really a challenging time for the audience to understand, you know, every time we listen to a critique, then the first thing, okay, does this have a political motive in the background even if it is fact-based you know just and and then there is this rising trend you know amongst every time i speak with people regarding uh, you know uh, their preference and their habit of watching and consuming news from different sources uh, one thing that i have been hearing a lot lately is oh i have stopped following news completely it is all negative it's just negative i don't want and my thing is well 
if there are bad things going on it's their job to report that and bring the, bring it to the people's attention if if the incidents are bad yes that's going to be negative but that cannot be a reason to ignore consuming news and they say oh they they only present the negative news well then that's bad that's how bad it is out there you know but 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 what is your perspective in that you know in this rising trend of people avoiding news on account of them being negative Okay, well, and I want to add just one more thing to the fake news, because I think the fake news term stemmed from politicians who didn't like it when news was negative about them, yes. right? Dismissing it. I mean, that's a tool. That's a weapon. I'm going to dismiss this as fake news, when what it really means is it's the truth. It's full of facts, but I don't agree with it. It's not the same thing. Uh, but I do think, building on, on this question, that people are dismissing because they hear this fake news. It's fake news. It's fake news from people that perhaps they admire or political leaders perhaps they look up to or that it's too negative and I'm not gonna consume it is really, really troublesome. And, and I've heard it from students too. I've heard it from students who have actually told me, students in a journalism class, right? Who have told me, I don't look at the news, I only look at Twitter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that, 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 that's a huge problem. Uh, so what I would say is, you know, you don't only have to consume news stories that feel negative. First of all, we need to know what's going on. And if it is a negative, sensitive, hostile time, that, that is something that we need to understand. But even with, within that kind of cultural climate, we can find bright spots. Uh, I love that term bright spots for kind of those, those point of good things. What, what are, you know, there's always something good going on as well. So it doesn't mean that you only have to click on the headlines that seem negative. You can also look for uh, bright spots in the community news, you know, bright spots, uh, I would say, you know, at a state level and then go up so that it's not just the negative stuff. And it's okay to, to consume some fiction too. Fiction can be wonderful. Watch a TV show, you know, consume some news and then watch something that's pure fantasy that feels fun so that, that your overall media diet doesn't have to be just a complete downer. Yeah, sure. Thank, thank, thanks for that. Now, uh, you, you did mention about the COVID-19 impact. My next question is on that, you know, uh, how has the news media outlets handled COVID-19 so far? What are the areas you think they did well in covering and what are the areas that you, do you think they should do more? So for that, it completely depends on which news organization and also at which level, right? So I'll answer that kind of caveat to the, the question because it's been handled so differently depending on how or what news outlet we're looking at. Um, for example, I think the New York Times has done a wonderful job uh, and wonderful job in not only offering a lot of different perspectives um, and, and also in just presenting information in a way that's digestible for of regular consumers. Um, for example, the style of their website is consistent where you can find the charts about COVID and the graphs about the, the number of cases. Uh, they've, done, they've done a nice job visually communicating information um, and also in memorializing the dead, which is not something that I would say that many organizations have done. So I would say a weak spot has been in many of the news organizations not paying enough and a news space to people who have died from COVID-19. Uh, and I feel like that in Tennessee, which is a very conservative state, we've had that effect. Um, and because they don't personalize the people who have died from COVID-19, which is, I think we're nearing 3,000 people in our state, which is, our state is, you know, 
big, but not that big. That's a lot of people, but yet we've seen hardly any names. People aren't being named. COVID's not being named in obituaries. We're not seeing that as the cause of death. Uh, and because of that, and, and in other, it's not just our state, but in other places as well, if we don't humanize who has died, you're less likely to, first of all, it's wrong to do that because we don't want to certainly not forget people who are deceased, but we also kind of forget or don't acknowledge the risk. And I see that the correlation between, I don't think that this is a risk to me, which is the attitude I see a lot around here uh, with, it's not gonna happen to me. And then also not having a lot of attention on who has died uh, goes together, right? So I would say that one weak spot has been anywhere where they're not really listing out COVID-19 as a cause of death, and not offering memorials of people who have specifically died of COVID-19, or even the experiences that people have had with the disease. Uh, and I think that's really important, but you saw it a lot in, in New York, um, the, in Boston, some of the Texas papers had more of those kinds of stories. Uh, certainly on social media, especially like YouTube and TikTok have had more personal stories about experiences with the disease. And we need to see that. For people to really understand risk, they either need to experience it firsthand or have it communicated clearly through the media that this could happen to them. Sure, uh, I think uh, it, it's quite a similar trend here as well. Uh, so early on the first few months, we had the news organizations discussing COVID, the virus, how the pandemic would spread and so on. But, uh, you know, as the lockdowns went from phase phases to you know, subsequent phases and we realized it's, it's, it's going to be there for much longer, uh, you know, the whole narrative changed say in the past 60 days, you know, right from, oh, we are going to die to, well, we need to take care of ourselves, come out and spend. Uh, it, it, it came down to that and, and we, you know, the, the same organizations which had a panel of doctors discussing, you know, epidemiologists discussing how the virus would spread. Here now we had four particular, you know, critiques uh, with one doctor who was supporting their idea saying, well, we need to be careful about it and we just have to be careful when we step out and, you know, we can't have the economy down. Well, th that reasoning had a rational background and it is understandable that we cannot be forever, in, you know, remain in a shutdown. But mm -hmm. then that doesn't mean we downplay the risk in news media discussions, you know, the, that, and especially we still don't have a cure for it. There's no drug, there's no vaccine, and the big, the biggest corporations out there have no clue when they are going to do that. It's business for them. If they say we are going to have it by this time, that's advertisement for them. That's big money, and they are not doing it because they don't know. They don't know when they are going to succeed. And uh, you know, given this situation in the past 60, 70 days, the narrative has completely gone upside down. Now they're saying, well, the numbers are going down. Some places they reduce the testing. Some places they canceled or stopped the testing. The numbers started going up. They brought back the testing and nobody's talking about that again. Now, you know, the, the public, you know, at one end, public is frustrated that they are not able to move out. Now, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a large wave of lack of awareness as a result of media organizations not discussing the risk in detail. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you know, what is happening here, at least from an Indian context. Uh, you know, I'd like to know how, how, how is the U.S. media handling this? Uh, so it depends on completely on what news source you consume, um, particularly the Fox News Channel, which, uh, as everybody knows, is incredibly Republican biased, right, uh, has recently been, I mean, they're the ones that air interviews with our current president and political leaders saying, 
don't worry about this, this isn't a big deal at all, making claims that people aren't dying from it as we have record numbers of cases every day, they're breaking new records. Uh, you know, when you have a thousand people dying a day and then you hear the president say that nobody or almost nobody is dying. So we've had, it just depends on the news organization. It's so highly politicized this, this pandemic that uh, the news organizations are offering very conflicting information. And what that's led to is, of course, an impact on policy on whether or not you have a mask mandate, even for your particular county, uh, and the resistance to these mask mandates. So, uh, and, and reluctance to for people to even wear a mask, even to go in a store, depending on where you're at. Now, there's states that don't even have mask mandates at all. And then, of course, they're seeing skyrocketing rates. So, I mean, all of this is so connected between uh, the politicizing of the pandemic, uh, uh, political affiliations and biases in the various news outlets, and then its effect on public attitudes and behavior. Sure, thanks for that. Totally agree with that. Now, uh, you know, the next question is on, uh, you know, let, let's spread our focus, you know, uh, outside of uh, the news media outlets as well, the whole of media and, you know, uh, connection, uh, the way they have been covering or responding to, uh, you know, uh, concepts uh, and issues such as racism and hate crime. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been so many other incidents that happened in the recent past and that have be been inflection points for, you know, which resulted into protests and subsequent violence and the administration's cracking down. And this has become a global phenomenon. And, uh, you know, you know, we here had uh, uh, responses coming out from our public for what happened to George Floyd. Uh, it, it, it's, it's that impactful. Uh, and that is when a lot of us even realize there are many more George Floyds in our own towns facing that uh, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. So, but then the media as such, you know, the, the solution there in the end is going to come down to inclusion and diversity and having that empathy and understanding the concept of equality and so on. But then uh, coming down to the impact of content being consumed, the impact of video, for example, for on the audience, you know, I, I'm going to be, my behavior, my thoughts, words, and deeds are going to be driven by the content that I consume. Uh, you know, I would like to get your view how far correct I am with that. And if that is correct to any extent, uh, you know, if the media content is not going to include anything that promotes the uh, ideas of equality, diversity, and inclusion, you know, is that going to add fuel to this fire of hatred and, you know, racism? Um, yes, it would. First of all, I, I want to say that I, I was amazed by the global response uh, and, and uh, in, in, a, in a positive way. I mean, obviously, it's a very horrible, tragic, you know, racist situation with George Floyd, for the murder of George Floyd. But I would say the, the global response that, you know, this needs to stop, it's, and this is a pattern, and that we need to unite to be more inclusive and more diverse um, was positive, positively astonishing, right? Uh, and I would say that, that it has sparked more inclusive media types, and now that can be superficial, right? Meaning just let's add uh, more diversity. For example, I've, I've seen an impact in advertisements, which, is, which may seem like it doesn't matter, but it does, right? The more that you have different types of people and represent diversity across a lot of different intersectional positions, across, uh, of course, race and ethnicity, but also gender, gender identity, uh, you know, religion, geographic position, ability and disability, right? Of the more the diversity that we have across those different things, and as they intersect on all different types of media, 
the more likely we are to be inclusive. Now, it's obviously it's very important for us to have critical news stories that absolutely share uh, information on, on, on you know, police officers' murder of, of people of color and other kind of atrocities that happen. But we also do need these kind of positive uh, stories of inclusion and not just tokenism and not just um, directly challenging a stereotype in a really superficial way. But I would say that um, the opportunity lies even beyond, I would say, news media in having, for example, successful YouTubers uh, internationally, right, cross cultures with their popular media that they're producing themselves, or to show off or to give voice to all these different groups of people that have been left out in traditional news outlets. I mean, that we can get that now and consumers can produce it themselves and then become popular, not because they were sponsored by a news organization that saw potential and because they checked a box, but because their content is sought after. And I think that's why one of the reasons TikTok as a platform is so popular is that it gives voice to people that don't need to go through any kind of gatekeeper to get their voice out other than know how to use the technology. Mm -hmm. Sure, thanks for that. Now, uh, the, the other piece of that question is, uh, you know, in terms of promoting, you know, uh, looking at the fiction content, you know, moving away from the news mm -hmm. fiction content on uh, uh, television, you know, shows, you know, if, you, if we look at the 70s show, there is one Hispanic character there as part of the group. And then you mm -hmm. have Dr. Rajesh Putrapalli in the Big Bang Theory. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I, and everyone. And then if we move, move back uh, a few years, you know, there was the Cosby show. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a full African-American family featuring in that. And right. uh, so, you know, there are different ways of doing it. Do you think the media is, uh, you know, still holding on to this idea of diversity and inclusion in the fiction content that they produce? Or do you see, uh, uh, you know, it, it moving elsewhere? Uh, yes, I think that uh, I would say, kind of television and streaming platforms who are producing fictional content uh, are at least kind of, paying superficial attention to diversity. Now, how well is it executed and implemented depends really on the show. But I will say that Netflix and other streaming platforms have just enabled like so much more storytelling and diversity in its storytelling than we never would have seen in network television or in cable. I mean, a little bit more in cable, but not so much in, in network television because uh, uh, platforms like Netflix can afford to take more, a lot more risks, right? It doesn't, it costs nearly as much for Netflix to, to create a new show. And that's why they have like, you know, like 2000 shows, right? Uh, and, and you see, uh, I mean, they get around kind of the sensors and the demand of direct advertising as well. They're not playing to the advertisers. They can tell their own story. So if we compare even two shows from the same era, you said Rajesh, right, from Big Bang Theory, uh, same time period, we look at Master of None uh, by Aziz Sansari on Netflix. And that show is fantastic in terms of the way that it really directly tackles racism and stereotypes. But yeah, at the same time, it's really funny and it's a, it has a good show that builds uh, kind of relationships and, and in-depth characters. Um, so I think nowadays it's more about what's the platform and how are they going to grab an audience by doing something different rather than kind of just, uh, I would say, recycling the old plots in a new format like we saw with a lot of network TV. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy some of those shows, but we have to also acknowledge their shortcomings in diversity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about uh, the next question on, uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is more of an unintentional impact. Uh, you know, uh, has uh, or is media 
as such, including news and uh, fiction content, you know, the whole of media, desensitizing the audience in any respect. Uh, you know, has, has that happened in the past? You know, one example that I would like to quote a scenario here is, you know, excessive violence there uh, and then, you know, in, in kids shows and then that this desensitizes the kids, you know, uh, you know it, it's okay to fall down, beat each other up. The characters are getting back and they're, they're back to whatever they're doing. And, you know, you know, is media desensitizing the audience? If yes or no, if yes, what are the areas this desensitization is happening and what would be the adverse effects? Hmm. Well, yes, if they're consuming, if the audience is consuming a lot of violent media, uh, we do know that if you consume a lot of violent movies or you play a lot of violent video games, you are less likely to be sensitive to graphic violence, right? But again, I'm going to take a step back and say we're in an era definitely of selective exposure and fragmentation, meaning that we have so many choices that there's a high likelihood that many people are not even consuming that kind of violent media messages because it's not what that person necessarily, what that group of people seek out. So uh, I would say that they can have very negative implications if vulnerable audiences, especially if we're talking about children and teenagers, are consuming a lot of violent media, yeah, that is problematic because they're desensitized to violence. They're less likely to think that sexual assault is considered sexual assault uh, and a host of other problems. Uh, so I, I would say to that question, what we need to do is make sure that we have uh, critical media literacy taught in schools. That, that's a big step is to teach children how to find credible information and also to discern fact from fiction uh, and also to know when it's too much or when something needs to be turned off because what is too violent to one person, it might not be too violent to another person. Uh, we should also be careful in how much of our news media coverage we're sharing with kids. Now, I do think that kids need to know, depending on their ages, need to know what happened to George Floyd and, and have that be a discussion of horrible racism and what's going on, but they don't need to see that video. I, I don't think, I mean, I think you can draw the line on how you talk to kids about what is going on, right? Um, and I would also say, along with that, we should be careful about what we share. Like, do we share really violent videos or do you share a story about the video? Who needs to see what? At what point are we violating privacy? Or what point are we making things worse or just sensationalizing violence? Right? And I would see, say that news media is going to be different than how we consider like fictional content um, that is really violent. Like, for example, American Horror Story, right? making sure that not just every audience can access that, you know, having either disclaimers or rating systems or whatever can block out that and making sure that parents know about this dangerous media content. The more that we educate both kids and parents about the dangers of different types of media and how to educate, uh, you know, parents to educate kids, the better that we can kind of go forth. So I don't think we just cut out all potentially violent media isn't really the solution as much as more education. Sure, thanks for that. Now, you did make a mention of a media diet. Now, uh, you know, what would you prescribe as a standard or framework to design uh, 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 an individual's media diet? Uh, depends on the age, I would say. Okay. Start with that. Um, and then uh, age, obviously, age, interest, um, education level is going to factor in too because you want to make sure that the reader or the media, media consumer understands the messages, is interested in the messages. But I would say the basic media diet for everyone, if, if you're going to create just one big 
uh, kind of, I would say, white bread diet, if you would, to use an American expression there. I would say, again, dabbling a little bit at those different levels, local, national, and international, uh, in terms of news, and then also having some fiction that's enjoyable, where uh, having a purpose for why we engage in social media, but a limit on how much we do that, and then also having that additional fact checking for anything as shared on social media. Okay, thanks for that. Now, uh, uh, coming to the uh, last part of the discussion now, uh, you know, what skills are needed the most today in the journalism industry? And you know, uh, to all the uh, uh, young members of our audience who are aspiring to become journalists moving forward, mm -hmm. so what are the key skills they should really focus on that they should absolutely need to have? And what are the other nice to have skills which can help them moving forward? Okay, well, journalism is, is very different than it used to be in that, and, and, and then from that, what that used to be, uh, in that journalists nowadays, uh, especially kind of emerging or new journalists are expected to know not only uh, how to write, but also how to produce their own stories, at least on a basic level. So I would recommend that uh, younger people who wanna be journalists, who are aspiring to be journalists, um, you know, attend journalism programs. And in those journalism programs, they should get a combination of those solid writing skills. Now, if you wanna be a writer in any capacity, you should be writing. Uh, I, and then also at least basic digital skills, know how to film something, even with a cell phone, um, know a basic, a basic understanding of how to edit video, how to put together a news package so that it's not just, I can write a story. What else can you offer a new or news organization when you get hired? Uh, but also uh, aspiring journalists should be consuming a lot of news across different levels. Right, uh, really get the broad spectrum, even seeking news organizations that they don't necessarily agree with, but you still know what's going on, right? So diversity in a media diet, practice and writing skills, and also those digital skills. And I, I would encourage them to start a blog or have a YouTube channel or have some ways to start practicing presenting your ideas to the world, uh, a pretty low stakes way to do that. And that can help build a portfolio as well. And then also get an internship. When you're following along, get some kind of practical experience so that you can um, create that portfolio to get your first job. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so uh, thanks for that. Uh, the last mm -hmm. question is on uh, this whole uh, uh, contest or migration, uh, I don't know what term I should really be using for that, print versus digital. What is the mm -hmm. current status and where is the industry headed moving forward? Uh, I would say that nowadays, if an organization hasn't already gone digital, it would be hard for it to succeed. So we really saw that mass uh, migration, I would say about 10 to 15 years ago, uh, when at least that's the situation here, when news organizations either made that move or went under or have since gone under. And we've seen in the pandemic, a number of local, unfortunately, local news media organizations go under. Uh, because you have to have a way to access your audience. So even if you still have print subscribers, the emerging generations are all about digital. They're not buying a subscription to a paper newspaper. Um, paper newspaper is so redundant, but we, you know, it's just almost has to be said. But then also, besides having a website that feels uh, like a newspaper or feels like it offers a lot of different types of news, not just print, but also having strong infographics, also having video components, also having uh, different aspects that you can then share on social media. And that's the big thing I think that differs from the past is not just 
the shift of content to digital, but also this interactivity. You don't know the path that a consumer is going to take through your news website, uh, and therefore you have to make it laid out, you know, well laid out so that people can easily access different parts and different information and then share it to get your word out there. I do think it's, it's hard for, to get subscribers sometimes depending on the news organization. How do you get people to pay for content that feels like it should be free? Uh, and we have seen a disparity between some news organizations that haven't offered their COVID content free, but many of them have, have said coronavirus stuff is relevant enough that we want everybody to access it. Uh, and, and so there's a difference there. And, and uh, I'm in the firm camp that you should offer your information and that just potentially leads to subscribers who want to support that information. Yeah, if they, if they don't make that transition, I think it'd be hard to succeed. So do, do you think print will come to an end at some point? Mm -hmm. I, I, it's hard to picture a world in which we don't have any print. Um, but that said, uh, perhaps what happens is kind of our different types of print kind of merge into one pretty similar document. So uh, it's hard for me to picture a world without physical books mm -hmm. or at least some physical newspapers and magazines. But maybe, uh, again, it kind of all blends together. Mm -hmm. And there's just some situations in which a physical book is so much easier and more disposable than or a physical newspaper. But I would say newspapers would go before, and magazines would go before books. Okay, okay, thanks I for might that. Eat my words <laughs> 10 years from now, I might eat my words, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, thanks, th thanks for that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we have come to the end of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Dr. Foss, for taking time uh, to have this discussion. Uh, we are absolutely sure our audience would uh, love listening to you here. Uh, thanks again for joining us on this show. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed our discussion. Thanks. பேரை பயன்படுத்தினாங்க மீடியா அதாவது ஊடகங்கள்லேருந்து நம்ம பருகிற அந்த செய்திகள்லையும் வந்து ஒரு கலவை வேணும் எப்படி காய் கறி தானியம் இப்படி வந்து பழம் இந்த மாதிரிலாம் வந்து கலந்து சாப்பிட்டா தான் உடல் ஆரோக்கியமாக இருக்கும்னு சொல்லுவாங்களோ அந்த மாதிரி இவங்க வந்து அந்த மீடியா டயட் நீங்கள் என்ன மாதிரியான தகவல்கள் ஊடகங்கள்ட்டேருந்து இப்போ வருகிறீங்களோ அதில் வந்து ஒரு கலவே வேணும் வெறும் ஒரு சார்பாக இருக்கிற ஊடகங்கள் மட்டும் பார்க்காதேங்க பல்வேறு ஊடகங்களை பாருங்கள் வெறும் செய்தியை மட்டும் பார்க்காதேங்க கொஞ்சம் நேரம் செய்தி எல்லாமல் கற்பனை கதைகளும் பாருங்கள் கொஞ்சம் நகைச்சுவை பாருங்கள் இப்படி பலவிதமான தகவல்களை நீங்கள் பெறும்போது தான் வந்து உங்களுடைய சிந்தனை வந்து எதை பற்றியாவது நீங்கள் யோசிச்சிங்கன்னா முழுமையாக சிந்திக்க முடியும் அதுதான் நம்மளையும் ஒரு பாதுகாக்கும் நம்ம வந்து தவறான செய்திகளுக்கு ஏமாந்து போகாமல் நம்மளை காப்பாற்றும் இன்னொன்று அவங்க சொன்னது என்ன என் மனசாக கவர்ந்துச்சுன்னாக்கா பிரேக்கிங் நியூஸ் உடனடி இப்போ வந்த தகவல் அப்படிங்கிற பேரில் எந்த தகவல் வந்தாலும் உடனே நம்பிட வேண்டாம் வேறு யாராவது இதே தகவலை சொல்கிறாங்களா அப்படிங்கிறத பார்த்து அவங்க என்ன சொல்கிறாங்க அப்படிங்கிறத தெரிஞ்சுக்கிறதுக்கு முயற்சி செய்யுங்க அப்படின்னு சொன்னாங்க அதுக்கப்புறமா இந்த ஏமாற்று தகவல் எப்படிலாம் வருதுங்கிறது வந்து அவங்க விளக்கமாக சொன்னாங்க ஒரு சில நேரம் ஆட்சி பொறுப்பில் இருக்கிறவங்க அவங்களுக்கு எதிராக வர விமர்சனங்கள் எல்லாத்தையும் ஏமாற்ற தகவலில் சொல்லிடுறாங்க அதனாலேயே ஃபேக் நியூஸுங்கிற அந்த சொல் சொற்களே வந்து நான் பயன்படுத்த விரும்புறது கிடையாது ஏன்னா அதை தவறான நோக்கங்களுக்கு பயன்படுத்திடுறாங்க அந்த பேரை வந்து அப்போ சரி அப்போ என்ன தான் செய்யலாம் என்ன தீர்வு அப்படின்னு கேட்டதுக்கு அவங்க சொன்னது வந்து எது என் மனசை கவர்ந்துச்சுனாக்க 
ஒரு தகவல் நமக்கு கிடைச்சாக்க அந்த தகவலோட பின்னணி என்ன யார்கிட்ட இருந்து வருது அவங்க எந்த அடிப்படையில் அந்த தகவலை நம்மக்கிட்ட கொண்டு வராங்க அதுக்கு பின்னாடி என்ன பின்னணியோ அதுக்கு பின்னணி என்ன அது உண்மையானதா யாரோ ஒருத்தவங்க ஒரு வயசானவங்க ஆயிரத்தி தொள்ளாயிரத்தி அறுபதுல சொல்லிட்டாங்கிறதுக்காக அதை அப்படியே ஏற்றுக்கிறதா இல்லையா பின்னணி என்ன அந்த உண்மை என்னன்னு தீர விசாரிக்காம நம்ம எந்த முடிவும் எடுத்துவிடக்கூடாது அந்த செய்தியை உடனே நம்பிடக்கூடாது அப்படின்னு சொன்னாங்க அது வந்து நம்ம எல்லாருமே வந்து சிந்தித்து பார்க்க வேண்டிய ஒரு விஷயம் அதுவும் இன்றைக்கு தேதியெல்லாம் மதுவரி கூட்டம் நடத்துகிற பரப்புரையில் எவன் எதை வேணாலும் எடுத்துக்குவான் அவனுக்கு பிடிக்காத வேலையாக இருந்தாக்க அதை வந்து இப்போ ஏமாற்று தகவல்னு சொல்லிடுவான் இல்லை அவனுக்கு பிடிக்காதவங்கள வந்து ஏதாவது ஒரு கெட்ட பேர் கொடுக்கணும் அவங்கள அவமானப்படுத்தணும் அப்படின்னாக்கா இவங்க வந்து ஆங்கிலேயர்கள் கைக்கூலி இவங்க வெளிநாட்டு நிறுவனங்களுக்கு கைக்கூலி இப்படிலாம் சொல்லிடுறாங்க இது வந்து இந்த மாதிரிலாம் நடக்குது ஆக இந்த சூழ்நிலையில் தான் நம்ம வாழ்ந்துக்கிட்டு இருக்கோம் அப்போ இந்த கலந்துரையாடல் உங்களுக்கு கண்டிப்பாக இனிமேல் நீங்கள் ஊடகங்கள் செய்தி ஊடகங்களோட செய்தியை எப்படிலாம் கேட்குறீங்க பார்க்குறீங்க அதை அப்படியே சிந்திக்கிறீங்க அப்படிங்கிறதுக்கு உங்களுக்கு ஒரு அளவுகோலாக இல்லாட்டினாலும் ஏதாவது ஒரு விதத்தில் நல்ல திசையை காட்டும் அப்படின்னு நான் நம்புகிறேன் இது உங்களுக்கு பிடிச்சிருக்குன்னு நினைக்கிறேன் வேறு ஏதாவது இந்த மாதிரி தகவல் உங்களுக்கு வேணும்னாக்கா செய்தி சொல்லி அனுப்புங்க அதுக்கான நிபுணர்களை தேடி நம்ம வந்து பேசுவோம் இந்த கலந்துரையாடல் நீங்கள் பொறுமையோடு கேட்டதுக்கு நன்றி நம்மளை யார் வேணால் எப்போ வேணால் எப்படி வேணால் ஏமாற்றலாம் ஆனால் நம்ம ஏமாறுறோமா இல்லையாங்கிறது நம்ம கையில் தான் இருக்கு சிந்திச்சு பாருங்க இந்த பதிவு உங்களுக்கு பிடிச்சிருந்தா தயவு செஞ்சு சமூக வலைதளங்கள்ல இப்ப பகிர்ந்துக்கோங்க இந்த நிகழ்ச்சி உங்களுக்கு ஏதாவது ஒரு வகையில உதவிருக்கும்னு நம்புறோம் சும்மா ப்ரொடக்ஷனோட பகுத்தறிவு பாட்காஸ்ட் பொறுமையோட கேட்டதுக்கு நன்றி